Hello and welcome along to a glorious Goodwood special of the Horse Racing from Home podcast. Uh, you'll be familiar with the format by now. I'm going to look ahead to the key races for the week at both Goodwood and Galway. There's some really good action there as well. And I won't be alone either as I'm joined by our resident tipster, Chris Baker. Hi, Chris. Hi, Nick. How are you doing? Yeah, all good. Thanks, mate. Yourself? Yeah, really good. Looking forward to Looking forward to the week ahead. And just before we get going, uh, delighted to say that this week's episode is once again sponsored by Paddy Power. All prices mentioned are from paddypower.com, so make sure you head over there for a week full of offers and enhancements for all five days of Glorious Goodwood. Now, Chris, it's been a hectic time for racing. We come into the Galway and Goodwood festivals on the back of the King George on Saturday. Uh, Enable was a, a brilliant winner, but there was a lot to take out of the race with just three runners in, in there. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a shame really that there were only three runners and we can blame COVID for, for that and the, the race planning that's had to be readjusted. But you know, in previous years, we may have seen the likes of uh, Love, the Oaks winner, Serpentine, the Derby winner, Guy, I think Cameco may have taken in this race in previous years, uh, Magical, who runs today. And even the likes of Santiago, who we'll talk about for the Good Book Cup, and an English king who, who you know, was sent off a, a well-fancied runner for the derby. They, they might all have taken their place in previous years, but as it was, it was a three-horse race. Um, I, I'm not sure we learned too much about Enable, other than the fact that she has clearly come on for that run in the Eclipse when she was reported to be 90% fit. Um, and, and, of course, became the first horse to win three King George's. Now, she's going to be going for a third arc. In our last podcast, we mentioned a statistic that, that sort of goes against her, really, in that since 1988, all but two of the arc winners have been aged three or four. Um, and you've got to go back to 1932 for the last horse that was older than five to win the arc. So she's got that stat against her. But looking at how she's come back this season, um, it's going to be one heck of a race where, where obviously Love's going to, presumably line up against her in the arc. Um, the, the thing that surprised me yesterday was the price. Now, I'm not one to get stuck in at, at short prices, um, but she opened up at one to two uh, and was sent off at, at nine to four on. And I, that, that was a license to print money, surely. In, in my book, she, she, was, she should have been three to one, four to one on. You know, sovereign, yes, is the Irish Derby winner from last year, but he's, he's an overall strike rate of two from 10. Japan, yes, he was a good winner of the Judmont, but he's been well below his best in the Prince of Wales and Eclipse. So I was really surprised at, at the price that Enable went off yesterday. I thought it was huge. Yeah, and you say um, she's got history against her, but she created history yesterday. She's the first three-time winner of the King George. She was also the first six-year-old mare since Black Caviar to win a British Group 1 race. So hopefully... Uh, it's all systems go now to the arc. Do you think it'll be the Yorkshire Oaks next, very much like last year, or do you think connections might be a bit braver with her? Yeah, I've, the the two races that I heard mentioned were the Yorkshire Oaks and the Judmont International. Um, and, and John Gosden said, as, as a bare minimum, she'll have a race course gallop. So it's whether she she takes in one of those races at York or or goes straight to to Longchamp with with the race course gallop. We'll we'll have to see. Yeah, it could be some race up at York. The likes of potentially Cameco could even head there. We'll talk about him a bit later on. But we're going to look at the Goodwood Festival first, Glorious Goodwood. We're going to start with Tuesday's feature as well, which is the Group 1 Goodwood Cup. And we have an odds-on favourite here, Stradivarius. He's 9-4 to four on. 
Um, he's won each of the last three renewals of this. And he's interesting this year because he's facing a rival in Santiago who he's having to give £15 to. And that's because of this wait for age bounce because the race falls in July. Yeah. How do you make, how do you see this race, Chris? Well, yeah, Stradivarius, obviously, uh, you know, superstar stayer. I still can't believe he's only six years old. He seems to have been around for, for such a long time. But he's, you can't argue that he's not open to, to more improvement. Um, in our last podcast, we were talking about his chances in the Ascot Gold Cup. And one of the things that concerned us there was that the race was coming too soon after Newmarket when he'd finished third on his comeback um, to, to Gaiath and Anthony Van Dyke. But not only did he, he prove us wrong, or prove me wrong, he put up a career best effort and he was so impressive in the Ascot Gold Cup. He's, he's reportedly worked very well in, in his preparation for this. So, yeah, he's won the last three renewals of this. He will make history if he wins this race because Double Trigger holds the record in a joint record in this race, won the race in 95, 97 and 98. So Stradivarius will be the outright leader in, in number of wins in the Goodwill Cup. So, yeah, you, you can see why he's, he's such a short price. He's got an outstanding chance. Um, you know, you've got the usual rivals, including the likes of Cross Counter. He's, he's given up trying to, trying to take him on. Um, so the most interesting contender, as you've mentioned, is Santiago. It's a new rival for Stradivarius. Um, Santiago is, is really impressed so far. He's clearly being aimed at the St. Ledger. Um, I, I am surprised he's come to the Good Book Cup. I say he could have gone King George, he could have gone for a host of other options, but he's, he's come to this as a three-year-old. You've mentioned the £15 weight for age allowance. That'll be key. But in terms of three-year-olds running in this race, only eight have run in the last 10 years. And in that, out of those eight, only one has won. And that was Stradivarius in 2017. You've got to go back to 1990 to find the, the, the three-year-old winner before Stradivarius. So, so that stat is against him. What's also a bit of an unknown is the step up to two miles. He's, he's clearly a decent stayer because he won the Queen's Vars at Ascot over a mile and six. And he was um, you know, showed a really good attitude to win the Irish Derby over a mile and a half. I mentioned the St. Ledger. They, they clearly fancy him as a, as a strong stayer, but he's, he's got to prove his stamina against the greatest stayer that, that there is at the moment. Obviously, Ryan Moore will be aboard. Um, so I think Santiago is going to be the, the unknown in the race, the, the one to, to really take on Stradivarius. Um, you've also got the likes of Nyef Road, who you know, I, I spoke very favourably about um, in, the, in the lead up to the Ascot Gold Cup. And he came second to Stradivarius that day. He led for, for quite a way. He, he lost nothing in defeat, really. I, I think the drop back to two miles will be in his favour, and I'd expect a, a bold showing from Nayef Road. And tied in very closely with him is Spanish Mission. Now, they, they've got very, very similar form lines, very similar chances, very similar profiles. And, of course, they've both got form at Goodwood because Nayef Road won the Gordon Stakes on this card last year, and he had Spanish Mission back in third. Both have since gone on to show that the, the step-up in trip has suited. Um, I'd expect Nayef Road and, and Spanish Mission to, to, to go well. Um, and then you've got the, the ones completing the lineup, the likes of Who Dares Wins. Um, now, he was a Royal Ascot winner last time out. He won the uh, Queen Alexandra Stakes. He's eight-year-old, 
uh, eight years old now, but don't let the age put you off if you fancy an each way um, go on this one because uh, in 2003, Persian Punch won this race as a 10-year-old. Yates has won the race as a seven-year-old. We've had an eight-year-old winner in 2014, so age certainly doesn't discount your chances in the Goodwood Cup, but it's going to be a fantastic race. Stradivarius to make history, not a betting proposition at two to one on, but um, it'll be fascinating to see how Santiago gets on um, in opposition. Yeah, it's really interesting to see John Gosden come out and say that, you know, this could be Stradivarius's toughest task. And just how tough a task is it to give away over a stone? I know the weight for age allowance uh, is, is in there for a reason because Santiago's a younger horse, he's still growing, but Stradivarius has got to give away over a stone to a Group 1 winner here in Santiago. It really could be one of his biggest achievements if he does pull this off. Absolutely, but we if you go back to, to the Ascot Gold Cup, he, he pulled 10 lengths clear at the line that day and he was a further 8 lengths back to uh, cross-counter. So, yes, it's, it's a big chunk of weight, but we're talking about... Uh, champion stayer a three-time winner of this race against the horse that's very much on the up but he's unproven and the, the other thing is with, with Santiago is um, you know the ground's looking like it's going to start off sort of good good to soft and then be, be pretty quick by the end of the week but um, if, it, if it was quite quick at the start of the week I'm not sure how Santiago would get on with that his best forms with with some cut in the ground um, but yes, it's going to be really tough for, for Stradivarius, but I, I, I'm not going to be having a bet in the race myself, but it'll, be, it'll just be fascinating to see how Santiago gets on. On to Wednesday now. The feature on Wednesday is the Group 1 Sussex Stakes. Now, this one has involved some really memorable duels over the past 10 years or so, Chris. It's coined the title duel on the downs so often, but this time around, it isn't between two horses. There's a whole host of contenders here. We'll, we'll go through them uh, runner by runner and we'll start with the 7-4 favourite at the time of recording. That's Shishkin, Irish 2000 Guineas winner. Uh, he's 5-5 five from five so far. He comes here on his first run in the UK. He was withdrawn last year in the Middle Park. Is he the right sort of price? Is he the right favourite, Chris? I've not finalised my selection for this race, but I know for a fact that I will be taking on the, the favourite. Mm. Um, yes, he's unbeaten, 5-5. Five from five. Yes, he won the Irish 2000 Guineas when there were question marks over his ability to, to save the mile. His previous runs as a two-year-old had, had been over six furlongs. Um, I've just got this sneaky feeling that he's, he's clearly a little bit tricky. He wore a hood to load at the, at the current. I know Connections breathed a huge sigh of relief when he went in. And that, that was off the back of that middle part. Mm. Um, performance that you mentioned where he was withdrawn for being unruly in the stalls. Now, this will be his first run away from Ireland and you just it just makes you think, is this something about this horse to do with travelling or is it is it just the loading process? But I think there's enough reasons to take him on, especially as the fact that the, the mile trip looks to be his his maximum. Whereas the likes of Cameco, the miles sort of the minimum trip and then you've got the out and out milers like Circus Maximus so um, yeah Siskin the, the other thing in his in his favour as well as Cameco and a couple of the others is this three year olds do have a slight edge they've got an eight pound allowance and have won six of the last ten renewals and, and also favourites have got a very good record in the Sussex with seven of the last ten um, going in so you can see exactly why his favourite 
Um, I, I just think that the prices, I think there's enough, there are enough reasons with some of the other contenders to, to be able to take him on. What did you make of the bare form of that run at the Curra? Because visually it was very impressive. You know, he, he overcame a lot of interference to win that day. Do you think he sets a standard here or do you think he might have something to find? No, I, it, I think it was visually impressive because of the trouble that he was in at the time. And, you know, the, the, he was held in. And then when he did get out, he did run on really strongly. But there wasn't that much between them at the line and you've got the likes of Vatican City was running on strongly having also encountered trouble um, so I'm, I'm not sure I, th- I thought it was a messy race um, and yeah I just, I just think there are reasons to take him on Well we'll stick with the three-year-olds for the time being because we have another Guineas winner here in Cameco now he was very impressive at Newmarket it's up for debate whether he stayed at Epsom. It was a strange old race in the derby. He drops back to a mile here, and there seems to be a genuine desire from Sheikh Fahad and Qatar Racing to find out which Guinea's winner is the best. Yeah, I think Kamako is, is, of course, a dual group one winner. I mean, one at Newcastle and was very good in the, in the 2000 Guineas and was, was well fancied for the derby, but you can just put a, a line completely through that run in the derby. And he did well to finish fourth of the 16 runners. Um, he, he, he stayed on from sort of over two furlongs out. Obviously, couldn't couldn't get any closer to certain time. But um, we we said in the run up to the derby that we we felt Kamako would stay the the mile and a half, but it'd be better over over ten furlongs. I still think he will be better over ten furlongs. I still think his race is the is the Jubilant International. But it's it's fascinating that he's dropped back to a mile like you said, to take on the Irish 2000 Guinness winner. Um, I, I, I fancy Kamako ahead of, of Siskin. Um, I think o- Oshin clearly is very well regarded. Um, uh, I just think there's, there's a lot, lot in his favour. Um, we, you know, The mile is his minimum, the, the 10 furlongs is his optimum, but he's not short of pace. You know, Connections have said that he has got plenty of pace, as we saw in, in the 2000 Guineas before he stayed on up the hill. So I, I think Kamako is probably too big a price. Um, it's around sort of 72. Yeah, as you mentioned, 72 Kamako, sorry. One who's a slightly bigger price is Circus Maximus. He's about six to one at the moment. He's a three-time Group 1 winner. Um, he was second in this race last year, won the Queen Anne Stakes at Royal Ascot last month. Is he overpriced as well? Is, is definitely overpriced. You, you just cannot knock his form. You know, he's, he, was, he won the Group 1 at Longchamp. That was his second Group 1. And, and his Queen Anne victory was excellent. Now, what, what he did in, in, at Ascot is he showed a fantastic attitude. And Aidan O'Brien has, has said this week that they just don't know his limit. They don't know how good he is because he only just does enough. So at Ascot, he won by a head. And at Longchamp, he won by a nose. But the... The thing that's in his favour, um, as I mentioned earlier, is that he's an out-and-out miler. You've got Siskin, who's, who's possibly, the mile might stretch him, he might not. We're not sure yet. The, the jaw is out there. You've got Kamako, who's, who's clearly effective over the mile, but probably wants a little bit further. But you've got Circus Maximum, uh, Circus Maximus, sorry, who is a miler. That, that is his trip. And he was second in this race last year. So he's also got the, the course form as well. Um, he'll he'll have um, Ryan Moore on board. You know, Aidan O'Brien. He's, he's clearly he's won this with the Gurkha. 
um, and, and is an outstanding trainer. So, yeah, around six to one, is he, Nick? I think Circus Maximus is, is, is a huge price. And, and whilst I've not finalised my selection for the race, I, I've got a strong feeling it's going to be between Circus Maximus and Kamiko. Now, we're jumping around the market here a bit, but um, intertwined with Circus Maximus is Mohatha, who is less than half the price at the time of recording. He's five to two. And he, he's almost like a badly kept secret because he was backed in from 14s to half the price in the Queen Anne, notably couldn't find any room when travelling well, and has since bolted up in the Summer Mile, which is a, a Group 2. He steps into Group 1 company here. Is, is he the right sort of price? Not for me, I think. Uh, I don't get it with Mohatha at all, and I, I certainly don't get the, the fact that he's the joint highest rated uh, on 120 um, with Circus Maximus at... I know, I know that was an impressive victory at Ascot last time out, um, and I know he had trouble in running in in the Queen Anne, but ultimately he's not yet won at, at Group One, mm. and he's against some top class performers, and I think he's going to find it really difficult against the Group One winning three year olds who've also got that that weight allowance as well, and also he's been beaten in two of his last three starts, so. Based, based on all of that, I think he's too short. And I think that price is, is very much to do purely with, with that last effort at Ascot. Now, the press, the, the, the build-up to the race, the hype surrounds those four. But there is a, a pretty solidly supporting cast as well. One of them is Wichita. He's 7-1. to one And he's got some very, very smart form. Runner-up in the Guineas. And he was third in an a excellent renewal, the St. James's Palace last time as well. Yeah, and, and I, I tipped him in the St. James's Palace. I fancied him to, to reverse, um, well, yeah, to, to com- confirm the form with Pinatubo. I think Palace Pier is clearly an excellent horse. Um, the thing with, with Wichita is, is Aiden, Aiden said that he's maturing with each run. He's, he's a really big horse. I've obviously not seen him in the flesh, but apparently he's a very big horse. He's progressing each month. And my, my gut feeling with him is that he's a very good horse, but he's not quite good enough. Mm. But having said that, you, you, you look at that form when you read the quotes from Aidan, it'd be no surprise to see him um, do, do well in this race. And certainly as the season goes on, um, you know, you'd expect to see him on Champions Day at Ascot going, going really well, for example. And the, one, the last one I would like to mention, he's a slightly bigger price, about 14 to 1, is Vatican City. He's one of these from the Aidan O'Brien yard with an interesting profile. He's pretty lightly raced. He, he never got going in, in the derby, but who did last time? And he's got a brilliant pedigree. He's a full brother to, to Glen Eagles. You know, has he any sort of a chance at about 14 to 1? You've summed it up brilliantly. I mean, it, you, can, you can forget the derby run. He was, he was second to Siskin and, and ran on really well. The, the key to him is the fact that he's back down to a mile. And, you know, in his pedigree, you mentioned Glen Eagles. He's also related to several other group one milers. His dam was a Group Two winning sprinter, so I think the the drop back to a mile with those two runs under his belt, I think yeah, he's he's going to have a good chance as well, along with Wichita. I'd expect both of those to run well without necessarily winning. And as you've said, we won't get a selection yet. We're a bit too far out for that. But it sounds like you you're very much between Camaco and Circus Maxis. Think those two could could very much come to the fore. Yeah, I, I just think. You can forget the, the run in the derby for, for all of them. And you know, throughout the whole of this programme, the derby will come up again in the Gordon Stakes. And you, know, you, you can just put a line 
lying through it for, for a lot of the runners. Um, but he's, he's a, he's a two, Kamako's a 2,000 guineas winner. He's, he's clearly well fancied and you know, he's got a Fisher rating of 119. I think he's going to just get better and better as the season goes on, much like Roaring Lion did. And, and Circus Maximus, you just can't knock his chances. He's an out-and-out miler. Well, that leads really well into the Gordon Stakes, which is on Thursday's card. It's a Group 3 contest over a mile and a half. And as you said, there's a lot in here from the Derby. It's got the feeling of the King Edward Stakes at Royal Ascot, which traditionally is something of a consolation. There's loads in here, Chris. I'm, I'm just going to let you go, really. But it includes the runner-up, Khalifa Sat. He's in here at about 11-2. to two. And the favourite is the same favourite as from Epsom. It's English King. He's the 3-1 to one market leader, was fifth at Epsom. Yeah, we'll start with English King then. So we, we spoke a lot about him in, in the last podcast. Um, the fact that his run at Lingfield and his run at uh, Newcastle, they were both really visually impressive. We did question the form of both of those runs, but we, we came to the conclusion that um, that experience of running around Lingfield would hold him in good stead for Epsom. And he, he, you know, he got a little bit worked up at the start at Epsom. He was sweating. Um, the draw in store one, I'd mentioned the, the draw prior to, to the derby and that, that, that wasn't the reason that he got beat, but I don't think it helped. Um, but ultimately, he, he ran on to finish fifth of 16, so he wasn't completely disgraced and, and he's well worth another chance here. Now, I, I saw Ed Walker had, had said earlier that he had considered the, the King George for English King. Um, but has decided to go for this um, Group 3 contest instead. I think he's a worthy favourite. Um, you, go, you go back to that Lingfield victory and you know, to, off, to have the Derby favourite running in Group 3 company in its next start, that's why he's the favourite. And, and you know, it, it, his chance speaks for itself, really. He's very well regarded. He's always been thought of as a Derby horse. He relaxes in his races. He, he saves energy. And, and I think English King... Is, is going to go really well. Um, the other you mentioned um, is with the Derby Farms, Khalifa Sat. Now, mm-hmm. he, that, that was a fantastic run to, to come second at 50 to 1. Again, going back to the last podcast, we mentioned the significance of that for Tom Marcon um, coming second in the Derby, having lost the ride on English King. And Frankie will take the ride again on the favourite. But Khalifa Sat put in a, a magnificent performance in the Derby. And what's really in his favour is that he's two from two at Goodwood. So he's proven at the course, he's got a he's got a great attitude, he stays really well. And and it could be, you know, this this could be a really, really good race. Um, and you know whether we see um, ledger candidates, for example, or or horses that can can go on and, and run in those really big race at the end of the season, but um, English King Khalifa Sat for me, there's there's very little between them, but I can see why English King is is edging it. Now, one that 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 ties in nicely with Khalifa Sat is Emissary, and we mentioned that he's um, a half brother to Workforce. He went into the Derby with a with a very similar profile to to Work uh, Workforce, but he completely blew it in the Derby. Um, if you if you put that run to the side. Then his form ties in nicely with Khalifa Sat. He was beaten a neck over a mile and three at Goodwood a couple of starts back. I think he'd have, um, you know, if, if that race had gone on a little bit further, I think he might have got past Khalifa Sat. He's clearly, you know, he's well, well bred, well, well regarded. 
uh, Son of Kingman. So I think a misery at a, at a decent price could also go well. And then you've got the likes of, of Mogul. Now, I, I don't know yet whether Mogul's going to run in this race. Um, he's, he's, you know, he's one of the market leaders as things stand. We've mentioned Mogul in the last couple of podcasts, but ultimately he's disappointed. He was fourth at the end of last season at, at Newcastle behind Cameco. He was poor at Ascot, but you, know, you could make excuses that he needed that run. But then he, he did nothing in the derby despite being well-backed and despite being the mount of, of Ryan Moore. So I'll be keen to take on Mogul again if he takes his chance. Um, I think the, the others that I'd, I'd quite like to mention are um, Delphi, and another Aidan O'Brien-trained runner. Now, this um, son of Galileo has, has won his last three starts, all of which have come since racing resumed and include um, a listed success at Leopardstown last time out. Now, he's clearly going to be one of the fittest in, in the lineup, having already had three runs. And um, to, to me, well, I've initially, and my initial notes on him say St. Ledger horse and, and use this as a, as a trial for the St. Ledger. And then you look at the dam, the dam side of the pedigree and it's all about speed. So he's clearly getting his, his stamina from, from Galileo. But I think he's an interesting contender. And another one towards the head of the market is um, Alassi, who cost 300,000 guineas. And is, he's, he's a very progressive type, um, a son of Sea of the Stars, and won the Bahrain Trophy at Newmarket over a mile and five. So stamina is certainly not going to be an issue with him. He's another one you'd expect to be heading towards the St. Ledger. And then finally, um, it's worth mentioning Mark Johnston's runners of Goodwood and Mark Johnston's um, runners in this race. So he, he won the race last year with Nyef Road, who we've already mentioned. Um, but he's got um, uh, two currently in the lineup, and one of those, the, the pick of his runners, looks to be um, subjectivist. And he is another one that's going to have no problem with the trip. Um, looks to be all about stamina. He was a, a listed winner at Hamilton last time out. He's been keeping on at the end of his races. And, and I'd expect him to, to have a decent each way chance in this as well. So it's a fascinating race. And it's, it's going to be really, really good to see um, what happens to that derby form. And very quickly as well, Chris, the, the one uh, to right at the top of the market that um, we've, we've just missed is, is Tiger Moth. He was second in the Irish derby last time. He's another one of these Aidan O'Brien three-year-olds where he's by Galileo. He's had a handful of runs. Um, it, he could have a form boost, though, if, if Santiago goes on to win the Goodwood Cup. A strange form boost, but a form boost nonetheless. He could. He, he, he won his maiden um, back in June. You know, ran once as a two-year-old and, and came third. Um, he had a couple of these behind him when he, when he won his maiden. And then, yeah, like, like you say, he, he was second to, to Santiago in the Irish Derby. I don't think many have come out of the Irish Derby, although I think the third Dawn Patrol has, has won a maiden. Um, since, um, but yeah, you, you cannot discount any of the Aidan O'Brien runners, especially one that's been placed in the classic. So we'll move on now to Thursday's feature, which is the Nassau Stakes, and this could rival the Sussex for race of the week because it's a stellar field. There's only eight runners due to line up, but there's five Group One runners in there, and we will start with the superstar mare Deirdre. She's Japanese trained. She was the first Japanese trained winner since. I think 2,000 of a British Group 1 race, Chris. 
how much how do you rate her chances of following up here well i, I and we'll get on to this but i i think this is going to go to one of the the young horses um three-year-olds um do have a, another an edge in this like like we said for the sussex um but she could be the best of the sort of more exposed runners um as you said that she won the race last year so she's she's proven in the conditions she'd only be the second mare to win back-to-back renewals of this this millennium the other one of course being midday the superstar mare connections worried i think about the short turnaround um since her run in the eclipse at sandown it, it wasn't a bad effort actually um over over 10 furlongs she stayed on inside the final furlong she looked a little bit outpaced at one point but it was a very pleasing reappearance and you know, the, the trainer said that since then she will have gained muscle, she will have um, improved her ability to quicken, um, I, she, she will have come on for the run. It's just whether it's coming um, too quick. They, they have mentioned that the, the ultimate aim with her is, is to win the arc and, of course, will become the first Japanese winner of that race. So, so yeah, of, of the more exposed, older runners, I think she's got um, probably the best chance, along with Magic Wand. Um, she's a five-year-old now. Um, she's a real globetrotter. She's won and been placed in multiple Group Ones around the world, um, and she was um, just ahead of Deirdre in the Eclipse at Sandown. But you know, there's there's a couple of angles that, that I've gone with here. One is um, four-year-old John Godston Improver, and that's Nazif. And I think Nazif is sort of battling out for favoritism with another Hamdan Al-Maktoum owned runner, uh, Torquil. Now, Nazif is um, four from five on turf. She's won her last six races and won the Falmouth at Newmarket last time out, beating one of my favourites, Billersden Brook. Um, She's done nothing but improve. Of course, she won the Duke of Cambridge at Ascot, just getting up at the end. The... The thing with Nazif is she's up in trip, so her, her, you know, five of her six victories have been over a mile. This will be her first try beyond a mile. But if you look back, uh, you know, you go um, to the Falmouth, she ran on well at the finish. In the Duke of Cambridge, she kept on at the finish. At Kempton on the all weather, she kept on strongly at the end. So the way she's been seeing out the mile would would give every hope that that she could be open to even more improvement over this 10 furlong trip. Um, so I think Nazif's a, a fascinating contender. Uh, she, she could go on to be a, a real superstar. I think if she wins this, she's gonna be um, you know, one, one, of the, one of the best fillies in training. Um, Torquil, the, the three-year-old. So this is another angle. You've got, in terms of trends in this race, a, a three-year-old market leader. Um, they, they tend to do well um, and, and Torquil took a, a big step up in class last time out. She'd gone from just running on the all weather at, at Deauville to going straight into a, a Group One at, at Shanty, and she won by five lengths that day. Um, so she, she's coming in here as a, as a five-length Group One winner, and uh, you know it's, it's hard to know what that form works out to and how she'll how she'll do against the likes of. Deirdre and Magic Wand and Nazif, but um, you've certainly got to take her seriously, having, having won a Group 1 
by five lengths. And then the other one that, that's a similar sort of profile there in terms of a, a three-year-old improver, one towards the top of the market, is Fancy Blue. Now, Fancy Blue is, is obviously Donica O'Brien has um, taken out his training license and he couldn't have had a better start with, with this filly because she was, well, she'd be unbeaten if it wasn't for Peaceful. She was second in the Irish 1000 Guineas and then went and won the French Oaks. And, and that was a really good performance to win the French Oaks. So, you know, she's, she's coming to the Nassau Stakes as a, as a Guinness, Guinness placed and French Oaks winner. This is a really good race. It is indeed. Is there, a, which way are you leaning towards at the moment then, Chris? It's, it sounds like it could be between the two Hamdan fillies. Yeah, well, I keep changing my mind, and, and I won't I won't know my selection until the the day before the race when when things are a little bit you know there's there's more knowns. But I'm I'm a big fan of Nazif. Mm. Um, I think she's she, she's just improved with each run. And as I said, I think I think the the way she's shaped over a mile, the step up to ten furlongs could bring about further improvement. So she's a Group One winner, and Fancy Blue, as I said, you, you can't. She's coming in here as a, as a French Oaks winner mm. with the, the weight allowance. Um, you know, three year olds have won six of the last 10 renewals. Um, Aidan O'Brien has won two of the last 10. Um, I, I think, yeah, it's probably I'm probably leaning towards Nazif and Fancy Blue ahead of Torquil just because, although she won by five lengths in the group one, mm. I'm not sure how good that group one was. Should be a stellar race. And we'll move on now to Friday's feature, which is the Group 2 King George Stakes over five furlongs. Now, Chris, this could be, we could talk about this for 10 minutes. We could talk about this for 10 seconds. It's up to you. We have a five to two on favourite in Batash. He's won the last three renewals and is arguably at his brilliant best here. Um, is he just, uh, does he just win? It's very difficult to give a reason why Batash won't win. Hmm. Um, you know, as you say, he's won the last three renewals of this um, by two and a quarter lengths, four lengths, and, and uh, three quarters of the length last season. He's been odds on for two of those victories. He's going to be a very short price this year. And the reason for that is that since he won this race last year, he's, he's actually done two things that have, have sort of strengthened my opinion even further of him. And, and that is that he, he went to York for the Nunthorpe. Um, having been beaten in that race twice and, and people saying, oh, he can't handle York. Um, you know, he's, he's no good away from Goodwood. But he, he, he was stunning uh, in the Nunthorpe. It, that, was, that was a really, really brilliant victory. And then he went and, and did a similar thing at Ascot where he was zero from three going into the King Stand Stakes. And, and again, not only did he win, but he, he was brilliant. So... <laughs> He's, he's performed brilliantly at, at two tracks that he's, he's not had a very good record at. So to then come back to his favourite track, um, where he's three from three, you know, I, I, was, I was opposing him at, at Ascot based on, based on his record at the course and the price. But um, whilst I certainly won't be having a bet on him at, at that price, it, it's very, very difficult to say that, that he won't win and that he won't win well. Yeah, as you say, he, he has been a bit of a tinker to train at times, but he does seem to be to be getting better with age. You know, he's six now. Do you think it, it is something that, you know, he might slowly be growing out of that um, 
being wound up at the start and things like that. He, he does seem to be a lot more consistent these days. Yeah, it could be a maturity thing. They, they clearly will have been doing plenty of work with him on his temperament and the stalls and getting out and you know noises and things like that. Of course, we're behind closed doors again until Saturday. So he's, he's not going to have the, the noise of the crowd to contend with. Um, yeah, I, I, it's, it's very difficult to put up a case against him. And if, if I was going to do that, it, it would be the obvious one in terms of Liberty Beach now. I, I tip Liberty Beach to beat Batash at, at Ascot. Um, she had an outstanding two-year-old campaign. She won um, the Malcolm Stakes over this course and distance, so she's another one with, with good course form. She was fourth in the Queen Mary, she was second in the Lowther, and then she made a really good seasonal reappearance at Haydock over six furlongs. Um, the trainer after that said that she'd probably be better over five. Um, and she came third to Batash in the King Stand. That, that was a really good effort. Um, I, I was disappointed last time. I backed her at Sandown um, and she went off a, a well-backed favourite but, um, but came second. I, I was initially disappointed but then I noticed that, that the winner of that race, um, Ali, followed up by winning the Group 2 Sapphire Stakes at the Corso. You know, that, that's clearly a, a really good horse and again, I think Liberty Beach has just been a bit unlucky and there, there are certainly races to be won with her, um, good races to be won with her I'm just not sure she's going to be able to get past the Tash. Um, and then the other one to mention, we mentioned this one uh, ahead of Ascot as well, is Glass Slippers, who actually went into the King's Stand having won um, three previous starts, including the Abbey at Longchamp, where she beat Batash. So, so Glass Slippers has actually beaten Batash. Um, fast ground would be a concern. And, and it's looking like at the end of the week, the, the ground's just going to get quicker and quicker. Um, I, yeah, Liberty Beach and Glass Slippers would be the only case you can make against Patash, but it, it's very difficult. I'm, I'm rather dropping this on you, Chris, but just a quick note to say, you know, the, the, the key thing with Batash is, is looking ahead. And I, I don't know how much you've looked at the upcoming Nunthorpe next month. It's He will be heading there and that could be a corking race. We've got the likes of Art Power, Skeptical, the July Cup winner, Oxted, the, the two-year-old's Golden Pal, and uh, the Learjet. Um, it, that, that could be a real race to save next month at York. It's, it's going to be an absolute cracker, isn't it? And I think that there are, there's going to be a, at least one two-year-old runner in the race. Uh, the Nunthorpe, of course, is open to, to two-year-olds. So, um, yeah, I've, I've not looked ahead too much, but I think that that could be one to take by Tash on. But not, not on Friday. <laughs> Now, uh, we are a little bit too far out, unfortunately, for the Stewards' Cup. This is recorded on Sunday afternoon, so the entries don't come out until tomorrow, Monday. But, Chris, you do have a couple of horses in your notebook and tracker that you're going to run us through, and they are ones to watch out for if, if they do take the chance. Yeah, not, not sure yet whether my money will actually be on them or not, but they're certainly ones I'm going to be looking out for and deciding the day before whether it qualifies as a bet or not. But um, first of those is Lamato, who's... Um, who's down for the Lennox Stakes on the Tuesday. Now, Lamato is a, a, obviously a, a grand old horse. He's a, he's a dual group one winner. He won the July Cup. He was beaten by just half a length in the Lennox Stakes in 2017. And then I think a lot of people had forgotten about Lamato. And then he turns up at Newmarket uh, recently, having had 260 days off 
and he, he hacked up by three and a half lengths in a group three to earn his chance at Goodwood. So I think Lamato, despite being eight, is, is still clearly got plenty of ability, plenty of class, and it'll be exciting to see him run. Another one that's entered for Friday that I'm interested in, I'm not sure whether she'll be declared or not, um, but breathtaking look. Now, I've, I think I've, I've finally just got over this um, because, in fact, it was last week, I think, um, breathtaking look was second to the subsequent July Cup winner, Oxted, on seasonal reappearance. She was well beaten the Diamond Jubilee, but obviously that was a top-class race. She, she can be forgiven that run. But then last weekend, everything looked to be in her favour. I tipped her at a, a decent price. I think it was 6-1, to one, something like that, um, at, at York. She went well clear inside the final furlong. And uh, she, she, to cut a long story short, she got done on the line by a horse that traded at 600 to 1 in running and wasn't even on the screen with half a furlong to go. Um, and to, to rub salt into my wounds, I found out later that night that the, the jockey on board the winner, um, he broke the whip rules and was given quite a significant um, you know, punishment for that. So... Um, I'm, I'm hoping breathtaking luck can, can sort of bounce back and, and get a win on, on Friday in the Group 3 Phillies race if she takes a chance. And then the other one, who I've finally just got over this, is, is Kazar, who is down to running the Golden Mile handicap on Friday. Now, I've, I've backed Kazar twice this season. Um, Following on from his seasonal reappearance where he ran a really strange race at Newmarket. I backed him for the Royal Hunt Cup. He was well beaten. I backed him next time out. He was well beaten. Uh, I left him alone at, at Haydock. And of course, he, he hacked up by, um, by over four lengths off a mark of 105. So he, he's, a, he's a very, very good horse. But this is a career high mark now. I think he's, I think he's up to 112 in, in a handicap. So if he takes his chance, it's, it's going to take some doing, but he's, he's clearly a very talented horse. And the Marto breathtaking look at Kazar, certainly ones I'll be taking a, a close look at in, in the run-up to their races. So that was Glorious Goodwood. Um, and as we have alluded to earlier in the podcast, there's some brilliant racing over at Galway as well. Great to see the Galway Festival take place this year, albeit behind closed doors. And Chris, uh, we're going to swap roles, aren't we? We are Nick, so it's it's your turn now. You're the Irish racing expert, and um, and I'm going to quiz you on the two big races that are coming up at, at Galway, um, starting on Wednesday. So we've got the the Galway Plate, so handicap chase over an extended two mile six furlongs, and it's it's well known as one of the the toughest handicap chasers out there. There's going to be a field of 22 runners and, and right now we've, we've only at the entry stage. So there's so many runners to, to go through, Nick. How, how do you approach a race like this so far in advance? You turn around, close the form book and run away personally. But yeah, as you say, it's a really, really difficult race. Um, it's, it is what it says on the tin, really. It's a competitive handicap chase. And one stat that is worth noting is only one horse has carried 11 stone on more to victory since 2006. That was Road to Riches in 2014, which shows if you are going to be um, a, produce a weight carrying performance, you're going to have to be a real class act. Um, yeah, 33 in at this stage. Gordon Elliott responsible for a lot of those. And he's won three of the last four renewals in this. He's got nine possibles. That includes the top weight, the storyteller. 
he shares top weight with uh, graded performers in Peregrine Run and Jet. And the thing is with all three of these is they're all class acts, they're all graded performers, but all three have got a serious task on the, on the hooves to be carrying um, that sort of weight in, in this company. So the, the sort of thing you're looking for here is a horse who has the ability to win a Galway plate, but also is lurking on, on a good mark. And that sort of speaks volumes with last year's winner, uh, Boris, who, you know, was always cannily handicapped and placed in these sorts of races. He was always appealed as the type who was building up to a run in the Grand National. Um, sadly, we lost him earlier in the year. But yeah, you, you have to be a smart horse to, to win a Galway plate. And it's very unoriginal because this is a 22-runner handicap. But the, the favourite at the moment is is Galvin. He represents Gordon Elliott and he looks to be the strongest of the nine runners here. He um, was gambled on at Cheltenham back in March in the novices handicap he was second that day he shaped really well though he came into the race absolutely swinging um and just looked a little bit unlucky to bump into one in in the form of Imperial Aura who looks potentially a, a graded chaser next year um he's six pounds higher here he was off 142 at Charlton he's 148 now he had a very bloodless win at Kalani earlier in the month he'll he'll strip fitter for that and he just looks like he's been laid out for this. He, there's a suspicion, you know, that this has been the plan for him since March. It'd be interesting to see who takes the ride on him when the declarations come out late, a bit later on in the week. But he still looks like improve, improvement off one for eight. Yeah, it looks very fair, Mark. I mean, we can sit and talk about a lot of these, you know, easy game. He, he was a smart novice last year. Um, found things happening a bit too quick in the RSA. He did fall at the last. It, it was a tired fall, but... You know, with him, he doesn't look anywhere near as well treated for Willie Mullins. He's going to have to carry 11-6, which is a mark of one five four. He's six pounds higher than Galvin. So, you know, he, he can be passed over. A big, big ask for him. Um, us and then was another one. He ran at the Cheltenham Festival. Uh, he was third in the Grand Annual. He is off a reasonable looking mark. He, you can't discount him, although, um, and the going should see as well. He's off a mark of one four nine eleven one for Joseph O'Brien. Three Musketeers, he's another one to mention. Um, he is potentially on a really nice mark. He represents Gordon Elliott, another one. Uh, a lightly raced type. He won a competitive handicap. Uh, it was called the Midlands National, actually. Not that one. He was second in the Midlands National. Um, that's at, over in Ireland, though, at Kilbegan. Um, he won a competitive handicap at the national meeting at Aintree. He's only four pounds higher here. Uh, though this trip may prove a little bit too sharp for him. And then the other thing in this sort of race that you're looking for is potentially runners who are lurking on a good mark. And um, Clarkham won this a couple of years ago for Giggins Town. Their runners can never be discounted. Sub-Lieutenant is one of those horses whose appeals as one that could be lurking on a good mark. He's 11 now, very much in the veteran stage of his career, but represents Henry de Bromhead, who's won two of the last five renewals of this race. And has shown some really, really smart form. You know, we know how good he is. He, he's good enough to to race in graded company, um, running the Punchestown Gold Cup in 2019 behind Kenboy. Um, he's now down to a mark of 148, um, which is seven pounds lower than when he was second in the Topham Chase back in 2019. He has an awful lot to prove here. He hasn't run since February. He's in the veteran stage of his career, but he's 16 to 1. Uh, he's run well off an absence in the past and he's the sort of horse that ticks the boxes as one that may be lurking on a really nice mark. He'd be carrying 11 stone. He's one to consider, but I know I've talked about horses 
um, generally not doing well on, on 11 stone or more. But I, I do think it's very, very difficult to look past Galvin this year for, for Gordon Elliott. Okay. Now, um, one thing with, with Galway is that it's quite a unique course. It's, it's undulating, there's a steep descent, and then there's a, a two furlong uphill running. And so course form does tend to, to be quite important here. Now, a couple of those that you've mentioned, such as Easy Game, you know, he's, he's won here. Um, uh, Sub-lieutenants won here over the course and distance. Um, just with Galvin, how, does, does it concern you that he fell on his only previous run, run, run here? Yeah, I mean, you know, you've got to take these things into consideration. But he was a novice then when, when he fell. He was making his chasing debut. So I think you've got to give him a little bit of rope in, in that respect. He is still lightly raced. But yeah, it, it, you've got to be concerned in, in a big race like this, a bit a big big field handicap scenario but I think the the fact that he handled it so well at Cheltenham in the novices handicap chase he still he still rates to me as one he's only you know after five starts over fences that he's very much open to improvement and um yeah I, I think this could be the the pot that they they land with him before having to move into graded company because you know sooner or later his, his mark is going to catch up with him and I do think he is good enough to be running in graded chases in time Brilliant. And there's, there's one that, that sort of I wanted to, to mention that's likely to get a nice weight. You mentioned three musketeers is, is very likely to be able to, to run off a nice weight. And that's, that's Winter Escape. Now, Winter Escape could go off at, at quite a big price here. But he, if you go back to 1819, he won three races in a row, including an 11-length victory here. So, so he's got that course form. He's never really got back to form since and he was, he was well beaten last time in fact he's been well beaten in several of his last races but what's interesting about about this one is he's rejoined um trainer Aidan Anthony Howard having had a couple of runs for Ben Haslam and I think with with that course form a low weight and he's you know, he's clearly got more handsome ability I, I think he could be one to just keep an eye on and um, towards the bottom of the weights. So we're on to the Thursday, and this is the Galway Hurdle. Uh, again, uh, a top race over two miles. And um, we've got last year's winner in the race, Tudor City. Um, mm. Tony Martin, he's, he's won two of the last five renewals of this race. What, he's eight pounds higher. He's not actually run over hurdles since his last, um, well, since his victory here last year, but he did make a good return on the flat at Cork recently. So what, what do you make of... Tudor City's chance of a repeat bid. Yeah, it, it's a slightly different prospect in the hurdle in that there have been some notable weight-carrying performances in this race in the past 10 years or so. Sharjah carried 11-7 to victory in 2018. Overturn, um, wonderful horse. He carried 11-6 here in, in 2010. And Tudor City isn't on quite that sort of level. He, he's on a mark of 147, so he's going to carry 11-2. Um, that is notably higher than last year, though, as you say, eight pounds higher. Um, for me personally, I, I think he was well weighted to strike last year. I think he he's very much at his level now. I think the handicapper has has, has found his mark, but he's been kept fit on the flat recently. Um, he's going to arrive here fit, and yeah, he is one you certainly can't discount with, as you say, that that course form under his belt. But um, I think he he's worth passing over off the current mark he's on at the moment, and. You know, there's a there's a whole host of interesting runners in here, none more so than Hunter's Call, who potentially could come here for Ollie Murphy. Um, 
it's a bit of an interesting one this i read last week that potentially both murphy and dan skelton were thinking of bringing bringing over runners ollie murphy with hunter's call dan skelton with fair mountain but the whole logistics of getting a runner over to ireland at the moment and um, with having to quarantine makes that I just think unlikely, but if, if Hunter's call does arrive, he's 10 to one, he's very well fancied for this race and he's got an interesting profile. He won a grade three handicap back at Ascot in 2017, beat silver streak that day. And then we didn't see him for the best part of two and a half years, but he returned at Southall beginning of the month, looked well ahead of his mark when winning there. Um, he's only on a mark of one, three, one, three, five here. Um, so he was up seven pounds for that, but, He's going to need a couple to come out of the race as well. So instinct tells me that I don't think Hunter's Cole or Fair Mountain will make the trip over. But if they do, well worth having a look. Um, it would be a, a tip in itself, you feel, if those two line up. But in terms of top weight, there are two top weights here. You've got um, Aramon and Petit Mouchoir. Petit Mouchoir is one of the most popular, one of my favourite horses in training. I think he's very difficult to know just because he's so likeable. But it, the weight is going to get him, you'd think, at 16 to 1. Uh, Aramani won a grade 3 event last month, but um, it just seems a really big ask here off a mark that was uh, £6 higher than when finishing second in the county hurdle at Cheltenham. So there's whole different, there's, there's just so many different profiles here. Felix Desji is another one. His form is closely tied in with Aramon because they finished... Uh, first and second in the top novices at Aintree back in 2019. Felix Desi won that day, but receives four pounds here, four pounds here from Aramon. Um, he looks like he could very much be on a good mark. We didn't see him at all last year, but he came back with a bloodless win on the flat at Nathan last time out. He appeals as on a good mark for Gordon Elliott. Um, 15 to two, though, you're not getting too much value in him. So with that in mind, it looks worth potentially siding with one of the Willie Mullins runners. Um, it is very much a story of Elliot and Mullins. There's seven Elliot runners in here. There's 12 from Willie Mullins out of a, um, a total of 37. And the one I keep coming back to is Canadia, who doesn't have the most convincing of profiles. Um, he, he is pretty lightly raced. Haven't seen him since disappointing at Cheltenham behind Dan de Campagna in the Coral Cup. Uh, he was foul that day, but he's always appealed as one who could be lurking on a good mark. He, he, he didn't take to chasing last season. He was quickly switched back to hurdles and, and sent to Cheltenham, which sometimes is a bit of a hasty move. It doesn't always seem to work out particularly well, but I wouldn't give up on him just yet. He's been dropped two pounds for that run in the Coral Cup. Um, it's a mark which looks pretty generous if you go back to some of his form when he was a... Uh, a handicap early he was third in a competitive grade three at Aintree back in 2019. Um, not too far behind Mr. Adjudicator as well at the Punchestown Festival. I think a, one, a mark of 143 could underestimate him for a Willie Mullins operation that does well in this race. But, you know, we could be here all day just talking about the Mullins runners. He's got the likes of Build Me Up Buttercup. She won at this last year um, in, a, in a flat race. John Snow would be chucked in here off 129, but um, I don't think he'll get in. Uh, he's a long way down the rate, down the the ratings. And then you've got Aramax as well. Interesting for Gordon Elliott. Um, he's just two pounds higher than when winning the Fred Winter. But worth noting with him, he is only on the mark of one four two. Makes him interesting. But no four year old has won this race since two thousand. So the thing to take out of this, it is absolutely 
wide open. I think Felix Desji has um, obvious claims, but think of the price is about 10 to 11 to 1. It may be worth chancing Canadia to take a, a step forward here off a, a nice looking mark. Yeah, you mentioned about no four-year-old winning, winning this race uh, for a long time. Um, eight of the last 10 winners have been aged six or seven. And so based on what you said, um, Felix Deshi really, to me, stands out uh, as well. Um, I think it, you know, he missed the 1920 season, but he was, he was a group one winner at Aintree, like you said, and that comeback run on the flat, um, he's clearly been aimed at this. Although Gordon Elliott hasn't won, um, hasn't won this race um, in 22 attempts, so that, that's um, something he'll be hoping to put right. And then there's, there's one that I will not get into this race, um, currently 32nd on the list, and that's Diamond Hill. But I do think that she could um, turn up on one of the other races. I'm not sure which one, but I'd expect her to run this week. And the, th the thing with Diamond Hill is she's got excellent course form. She's got three wins here. Two of those on the flat, including a, a listed victory and a maiden hurdle last time she was seen um, over timber. So I'll be looking out for Diamond Hill later in the week. Um, but interesting that she was entered in the Galway hurdle. So, so thank you, Nick, for the, your selections on the Galway plate and the um, Galway hurdle. Um, excellent, excellent work. Cheers, Chris. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll let you sit in the pundit's chair from now on anyway. But uh, yeah, that is it for this week's episode, looking at Glorious Goodwood. Thanks, as always, to Chris for joining me. And thanks as well, special thanks to our partners, Paddy Power, for sponsoring this episode. Do head over to paddypower.com for all the latest enhancements and price boosts during the week. So enjoy the week and hopefully we'll be back sooner rather than later potentially to look at york almost certainly if not there to the st ledger at doncaster but thanks as always for joining me and we will see you again soon